Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kevin Johnson Program. This is episode 27. We'd like to thank you very much for listening as we spotlight the creative community in South Florida. And once again, you can find us on SoundCloud and Anchor under Kev John Pro, as well as like us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. And I'd like to introduce my next guest at this time. I'd like to welcome Miss Sheila Scanlon to the program. Thank you very much, Sheila, for uh, coming on and uh, and taking the time out of your schedule to speak with me. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. Well, how I know Sheila is that she is the artistic director of the Body and Soul Dance Theater that has been around for about, I want to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like three decades now, almost four? Almost four, yep. We are closing up our 37th season. Okay, okay. So I found Body and Soul through ArtServe, and just to take a step back, as some of you know, who I hope have been listening to the installments, past installments, I am a producer of live performance, so I recruit different types of talent for programming. And my company is called Conundrum Stages, and we had the opportunity to provide entertainment for an inaugural art festival just west of downtown Fort Lauderdale. It was called the Sailboat Bend Art Festival. This was done in April of 2016. And I wanted to try to include other forms of entertainment besides music. So I reached out to Sheila, who had the company at the time, and they were more than willing and very helpful to participate by providing dance pieces in their repertoire for the festival. They were at the top of the duration of the festival, and we have clips. You can actually find them on our YouTube channel under Conundrum Stages, body and soul dance theater but i wanted to the reason why i reached out to sheila now is i wanted to try to get to know the person sheila scanlon and how she came to be well how we all came to be but also just well we'll we'll start from the beginning where are you from originally sheila What type of dances or what type of forms of dance were you versed in? When I first started, um, I started in traditional ballet, tap, and jazz. Um, and I was obsessed with the rockets. I wanted desperately to be a rocket when I was a little girl. Uh, lo and behold, I uh, only grew to 5'4", so uh, I am not tall enough. 
<laughs> did you ever catch them at Radio City Music Hall while you were up there? Now, just to take a step back in the timeline, did you perform or did you dance at a collegiate level as well? Was there any dance programs uh, when you went to college or university? Um. I did uh, Broward Community College 
and I did FAU. So I continued my professional career like within what I was already doing um, in body and soul. So I kind of stayed local um, and continued performing because that's what I had always done. That's great. That's great. Uh, just as a side note, you're speaking to a Dillard graduate. <laughs> oh, really? What year did you graduate? <laughs> <laughs> you graduated in 1994. Oh, I graduated in 96. We were there at the same time. Oh, okay. Okay. Who was the dance teacher at the time? I was in, I was on the theater. I was in the theater uh, side, so I didn't necessarily... Okay. Okay, and, yes. Um, Daryl Kunish, rest his soul, but Daryl Kunish is the one who taught me how to edit music. Okay, and yes. And then I learned costume design from um, Mr. Nash. Floyd Nash, oh name. yes. Yeah, I was going to say, his first name just went out of my brain. And um, a lot of my um, interactions with visual artists, all of those connections started and stemmed from Dillard. Um, okay. You know, like I was a model. Uh, they used me as a model often for paintings in the art department. And then, um, you know, and I'd always kind of play. I had friends who were musicians, and I'd be like, hey, work this out. And I, um, the performing arts program, you know, if you take advantage of them, you can really um, learn a lot of things. So I was one of the, um, I took advantage of one of the programs that Broward Center had offered which was a junior technical assistance program, and they took two high school applicants from every high school in the county. And I, I'll never forget, because we had to give up our Saturdays and high schoolers, you know, whatever, and you had to get there early. And I was like, no, this is something I really want to do. By the end of, like, by the third week of the program, I was the only kid showing up. Mm. And even though I was the only kid showing up, they changed the program, and I got to do things that, if everybody else kept showing up, wouldn't be able to do. So I got to interact with stage managers from Miss Saigon, Jelly's Last Jam. Um, I mean, I got to meet artists that I would have never had access to because I was the only kid who was actually like, no, this is what I want to do for a living. This is what I want to be. And these would be the national tours that would come in to the Broward Center? Yes. Okay. Yeah, these would be the national tours. Yep. National tours. Um, you know, where, you know, I wouldn't have access to Gregory Hines, but I met him, you know, okay. when I was 16, you mm. know, and, right, so you, you get access, by utilizing the program to its fullest, you know, I got access to certain things, but I always knew, um, even as a dancer, you know, for so many years, and being a successful performer, that I was just more than a dancer. I wanted to be on the creative side. I wanted to do choreography. I wanted to do lighting design. I wanted to do costume design. So one of the elements that sets me apart from a lot of the other choreographers and artistic directors is I, I have full control artistically of my final product. From I do the lighting design, I often do the music edit, plus the choreography, and uh, the costume design. So, um, which takes a lot of work, and it, and it, it, you know, but it's a labor of love. But I always compare myself more to a visual artist, 
as um, instead of a performing artist. Because although, yes, my medium is performing arts, it's a visual experience when you're in the theater because I can control every single aspect. And that's only because of the phenomenal teachers and mentors that I had growing up. So, don't mean to stay in this small world, which is an understatement, because this right. is something new that I learned. Um, right. Did you happen to have a lady by the name of Dawn Pruce as one of your teachers? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. Because that's like, for instance, that's like the only dance teacher that I thought of while I was at Dillard. Uh, uh, yeah, Dawn. Um, there was Dawn Pruce. Um, I don't remember. For a short period of time, we had another teacher, Miss Press, but I don't remember yes. her first name. Right, and right. Then, but she also taught English. And then um, we also had Miss Munez, um, who was the ballet mistress after Miss Jekylls, uh, Elaine Jekylls, went fully to Parkway. So, um, because originally, when the program, as you know, you went to Dillard. The program was housed at Dillard, but Parkway Middle School students went to Dillard to yes. do their performing arts. Yes. So my eighth grade year was when it separated. So, um, and we stayed at Parkway for the first time, you know, all day, which was new to us. We were like, wait, what? We're not going to Dillard first? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. You okay. Know? So, uh, so that's when I had, you know, some other teachers. But, so technically... Dawn Truth met me when I was 11 and taught me dance primarily from the age of 11 to the age of 18. Ah. You know, because I was under, she was the one constant pretty much that I had uh, besides, you know, my outside training at University Center under Barbara Sloan, Debbie Radinsky, um, uh, Charles Russell, you know, so I did have some other fantastic dance teachers. Um, however, you know, uh, my primary, when you're at Dillard and you're at Parkway, you're getting two hours a day, five yeah. days a week. I know. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Because uh, uh, I actually, uh, the two years in middle school, I went to uh, Everglades, which was uh, now William Dandy. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be okay. Everglades. And then eighth grade, that's when I went into the performing arts program at Parkway. So I do remember the once, you know, once you were, what you're saying is like the first two or three hours we would be at Dillard for our electives. And then we would ship over to Parkway for our, our academics. And then when I went to Dillard, uh, I had uh, Miss Strouts as my uh, drama teacher. Uh, I had, um, I believe, uh, we also had Mar- Marilyn uh, Ladadio as well. Oh, yeah, I remember her, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, uh, like you said, Bruce Brown for stagecraft, Floyd Nash for costuming, um, uh, lovely, lovely older woman by the name of Alice Provencia, who was, yeah. uh, uh, you know, can be a little... Uh, Irritated at times, not irritating, but irritated. (laughs) Um, And then uh, for music, um, we had um, Brenda Brown for vocals. And uh, we had Tony Stamos uh, for uh, for music as well. Um, I didn't have uh, Mr. Kunish, 
but I remember yeah. him as a, a musical director for a couple of productions as well as uh, Tony Stamos. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we, uh, we, 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 we shared uh, almost the same instructors. That is a small <laughs> world. It is a small world, but, you know, it's funny, you know, at the Okay. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about, like at grant hearings um, for Broward County, is that you know, yes, Broward County artists, and I have fostered some artists that have gone on and they've danced with Alvin Ailey, and then they've gone to Jacob's Pillow, or they've gone to Philadelphia, and they've gone, they've left, they've left Broward County. But the thing is, is that that's great. And I think artists should be travel. But the thing is, is that the movers and the shakers to foster those next generation of artists, we still need some of our local homegrown people. Of course. We need the people who are not only that were homegrown, you know, and really, you know, I only had two years of dance training in New York before I came here. Like, I had two years, and then I came here, and I was performing professionally by the age of eight. And the reason why I was performing by the age of eight was because of the instructors that I had here. It wasn't, you know, yes, I had a foundation those first couple of years, but it was really, you know, the people who took me under their wing here and pushed me and, you know, made sure that I was supported. So it was always something I wanted to do. It wasn't something that I did to exhaustion. It wasn't, you know, I enjoyed it my entire life. I enjoyed it, you know, and, um, you know, as a director, that's what I try to foster now. You know, the company is full of adults, you know, uh, but we're still looking for those next generation of kids who are staying. And kids meaning, okay, you're 18, yes, you're an adult, but you still got a lot to learn. Of course. Come under our wing, learn how companies work, learn how proposals, writing proposals for choreography, or you want to be an artist, well, you need to be able to write grants, and let's show you how to do that. So you can be a functioning artist who's not starving. You okay. Know? <laughs> so yeah. let's get into Body and Soul and how okay. that connection worked out. So Body and Soul, like you said, was founded by Barbara Sloan. And now um, also, like I said, we go by transparency here. So if I miss yeah. something, please correct no. me if I'm wrong. This is the same Barbara Sloan who... Uh, has, is an actor currently in South Florida That's, theater. You are absolutely correct. She, um, Barbara Sloan, um, and I also have to give credit to Tilda Pianelli, who is also an acting director, and she also uh, runs Ambassador Pictures. Okay. Ambassador Productions. Ooh, I'm not sure which one it is, and I should know that. That, that she was given. Um, but, um, Barbara and she, she met um, at a flash dance competition, and she, she was on the panel, and she just fell in love with Barbara Sloan as a performer. Uh, they founded this company, and then as Barbara, Barbara ran it from like 1982 to like the late 90s, and it kind of went dormant for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and, but it didn't close its doors. They never, like, they never dissolved the company. So um, they just kind of like pulled back a little bit from performing, 
Uh, she had started another project called Duo Dada, which was just her and one other dancer. Um, and then, um, you know, I was working on a side project called Soul Expression at that time. And Soul Expressions was really kind of like I was trying to foster um, what I had had growing up, like a teen company that was a professional kind of level would go out and do shows. So I was doing this company, Soul Expressions, and Barbara and Gigi came to me and they were like, you know, we're not doing anything with body and soul. You're doing some really good work. Why don't you take over body and soul? Okay. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was like 21. And I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. Let me run a dance company. Uh-oh. Oh, have I learned so much. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, when you become yeah. the heir of the throne, like uh, like what's his name? Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker, with great yeah. power comes great responsibility. You are absolutely right. <laughs> and I had to learn um, how to really run a tight ship. And, and there was, you know, there was a few rocky years. Uh, you know, and I grew, as I grew and learned from my mistakes, I didn't make those mistakes again, and we really built a good reputation, and it took, it was really interesting, for probably the first 10 years that I was running Body and Soul, like, everybody would be like, oh, is Barbara Sloan the director still? No, I'm the director. Hi. So... So when you so, came on, when, when yeah. you know, once again, when you became the quote-unquote heir apparent, were yeah. you given a roster that was already set, or did you have to create a new roster? I had, it was starting over from scratch. Okay. It was, it was legitimately starting over from, from scratch. So I'll never forget that first audition. I was never... I'm never nervous. I'm not a nervous performer. Like, when I go on stage, I feel like that's my home. So I don't really understand butterflies in the stomach. I don't get that. Like, I'm on home. I'm at home when I'm on stage. But for the first time, when I had to facilitate an audition that we were planning on doing, a two-hour master class, and we had only had um, maybe like five people call to find out information. So we figured we were going to have a class of like five people. We had generated a board of directors. And at first audition, we had like 45 people show up. Ooh, and nice. it was because they were like, body and soul is back. We want to be part of body and soul. And it was, I wasn't. We were not prepared. <laughs> okay. And, um, well, I mean, it wasn't that we were We had a great class. It was a fantastic class. But we were not prepared to see so many talented people and only know that we could potentially fund a company of eight. Mm-hmm. So out of 45 people, we had to, like, cut it down. And it was rough. It was really rough because there were people in that audition that we would have taken if I had millions of dollars and could have paid people, you Mm. know? Um, So we ended up weaseling it down. I think we agreed on 15, and then we had a second audition. And um, we just 
I'm thankful to say that uh, a couple of those people from that original audition stayed with us for actually almost 16 years. Okay. You know, like, we had a couple of those core dancers for 16 years, you know, and one of them would be like, oh, I'm going to have a baby this year, I'm going to take next year off, you know. <laughs> and they came back, you know. Great. And part of the reason why they came back is because we were not like other companies. Um, we encourage everyone in the company to delve into their creative side. We also are warm and caring. We do, we kind of, we know that people who uh, play together stay together. So we go, we send out uh, body and pulse field trips, you know, where we'll either see a show or we'll go, we'll have a barbecue and we don't talk about dance or anything, but we're spending time with each other. We spend time with each other's family. We, we've now decided that we're not really a jazz company. We're more of a tribe. Okay. <laughs> and um, I've always joked that when you sign a contract with body and soul, that I own your body and your soul. It's in the name. <laughs> true. <laughs> so true. It shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> you know? um, so body and soul is funny because I always say that jokingly, but most people who have been members of body and soul always say that they are body and soul forever. You okay. Know, like it's one of those things that. Um, we've been very fortunate out of all the many years and all the many dancers, there's maybe less than five who left on negative terms. Okay. You know, and I don't think many people can say that. Okay. Um, one question that comes to mind is that when you, you know, took over and you gradually you probably have already answered this question for me, but in the sense that you had to do these things like, you know, field trips and gatherings and get togethers because I figure you wanted to make a cohesive unit because you don't necessarily want dancers who personally hate each other on the same stage. That wouldn't work out. But they cannot cohere. 
most amazing dancers and put them on a stage with a great choreography, if they cannot cohesively work together, that piece of choreography does not send the message or relay the message that you want. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the cohesiveness. Right. You have to have that ability to work together and not think you're, you're the best. Because there is no you're the best. I make you look good. You know, a choreographer who really knows what they're doing can take a mediocre dancer and make them look like a principal dancer because they know their limitations, but they utilize them to the best of their ability. You know, and and there are not a lot of choreographers out there who can do that. But Body and Soul also relies on theater and music and art collaborations so we kind of smelled a whole bunch of mediums together to make a final production. Now, speaking of which, in your choreography, mm-hmm. the pieces like the pieces that you create, where do you find inspiration from? Or like, for instance, how do how do you create a work from scratch? Is it something okay. that you know you think of? off the top of your head, maybe something that happened to you on a random day. How does that, how do you create a work? Uh, Well, uh, for me, uh, there's a couple of different ways. So let's see. Uh, For example, I did a uh, entire segment. We were doing a show called Dance Through the Ages. And Dance Through the Ages was basically a historical timeline. Um, from the first written account of dance um, through, you know, certain time periods that we had picked and, you know, to show kind of like an evolution of dance, where dance came from, but also the versatility of our dancers in our company. And then the ending of that performance was what would dance look like in the future? So let's say 50 years from now or 100 years from now, how is dance going to change or revolutionize, Right. So I had this epiphany while I was sleeping. <laughs> okay. And all I saw was this huge piece of material. It was like 35 feet long. And I said, dance is going to go back to its roots of nature. Like, we're going to go back to being natural. So we're going to do the elements. You know, what is water? What is air? What is fire? What is earth? So I ended up, the piece was called Elements, and it had four sections. It was about 22 minutes long, but it was it was originated, like that spark was a dream that I had about this really long piece of material. And um, it actually came to fruition, and that was uh, Earth. So instead of bringing dirt on the stage, I brought, a, you know, a 35-foot piece. It was like six feet by 35 feet. Of material on the stage to facilitate the ground. Oh man! Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, you know, I had these ideas, and then you know, I was kind of stuck, and I was like, you know, sometimes I'm stuck, and I'm having a conversation with somebody, and um, we were having a conversation. We went out for a social gathering one night, and um, we were just talking, and you know, because I always do things that are challenging or. And I had just finished what I call my Sistine Chapel. We did um, uh, we did a piece uh, show called Psychosis, um, which we wrote a 
follows a story of three mental patients. And um, each one of them had a, they were all in the same location. And it was kind of shedding a light on mental illness. But, you know, you had your drug addict, you had your actual person who had, you know, a chemical imbalance. And then you had your other person who was self-injurious behavior. And you followed these three characters to see how they interacted with each other and, you know, what came out. And one of the pieces that I had created um, for the self-injurious behavior to represent, like, that trapped feeling of uh, mental illness is I created, we created a, uh, a plexiglass box um, that, uh, from the audience size, it looked like there was no back, so she was stuck in it, uh, but it was open on the back side, and she did a complete piece in this three-and-a-half by five-foot box, so it only was three-and-a-half feet tall, but it, each panel was five feet long, so it, she didn't have very much dimension to, mm. you know, to dance, but uh, she was trapped, and we were talking about this piece, and they're like, wow, you know, you do such strange stuff, you know, what's next? And jokingly, I said, you know, I think next year I'm going to blindfold some people. And oh, I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, so I did a piece called Bidden, and I legitimately blindfolded the dancer. At least one dancer at all times was blindfolded. And, um, and uh, I marketed it as, you know, a piece, trust like no other. You have to trust your partner. They're going to be the ones to make sure you don't fall off the stage. That has to be interesting because they can't rely on their, uh, they can't rely on their vision. They have to rely on their other senses in order to yeah. feel, in order to yeah. smell, in order to, yeah. once again, trust because they yeah. have to trust their partner. around you. It was so cool. 
That's amazing. So, and I keep threatening that if the theaters would let me do fire, that's probably the next thing I would do. <laughs> but we haven't quite done fire yet. Um, yeah, I'm sure so, that that would have to take a lot of insurance policies to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we're not quite there yet, but I definitely like to push boundaries. And sometimes my sometimes my ideas come from like a dream. Sometimes they're proposed to me. Sometimes I'm inspired by a piece of music. I'm currently choreographing a piece uh, right now, which um, in irony, uh, like uh, when I was cleaning my house, I listened to classical music or whatever, and I heard this piece of music, and I was in the other room, and I shazammed the music on my phone, and I was like, oh, I really like that piece of music, I'm going to use it. And then I looked, and it was from Game of Thrones. It's not the main theme, but it's, you know, as if I was using the theme, because I don't uh, use necessarily popular music. Um, I usually, I've been dubbed as, like, the B-side choreographer. Um, you know, I like using popular artists, but not necessarily a, a, the version of that song that you're familiar with. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> you know, or I'll find an obscure uh, you know, remake or uh, acoustic or, you know, live, you know, so I kind of like play with my music. So I'm currently working on this piece and um, this is, I'm kind of going back to um, my, an older form of choreography style that I've used where um, this piece doesn't have a story. So a lot of my pieces, um, often I have either an emotion or a story um, that, you know, helps motivate the dancers to get from point A to point B. This piece, um, I'm more motivated by not only the musical track, but I'm also using uh, pieces of material. So my objective as a choreographer is to not only make the dancers dance, but also that the pieces of material that they're manipulating are also dancers. So um, I'm all about the movement, and I'm currently uh, in talks with a graphic designer uh, and visual artist that we've worked together before. This would be, I guess, our fourth collaboration um, that he's totally excited about. I was like, hey, I, you know, I would like you to kind of create a background that mimics what I'm doing with the material, the same color palette, you know, so it just gives that kind of extra layer. Okay. So, um, and this piece is, uh, when it's in it, when it's done, which should be next week, uh, it'll be almost 10 minutes long. Oh, wow. All right. But the way I choreograph, um, because I see this piece in different sections, like it's not, um, I don't, yes, it's one long piece. However, the way I choreograph it, it's, it's got a, def, uh, a bunch of different layers that kind of, and then there's one cohesive kind of theme, the underlining theme of the material that makes it one long piece, but audience members won't be like, wow, this piece is really long, because they'll see the different facets, if that makes sense. Now, the pieces that you create, or mm -hmm. the pieces that Body and Soul has under their repertoire, do you break them out into separate productions or can you rotate them out? Like for instance, one piece doesn't necessarily have to have a theme with another piece. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah, we can definitely do that. 
also um, is I copyright bodies of work. So, like, the show Dance Through the Ages, that entire show is copywritten the way it is, um, you know, and, and filed just for protection. Um, because as a choreographer for so many years, um, our community isn't very large. Uh, I have on a, I have had one instance where somebody took my work, went to an audition, which was roughly, I guess, run by somebody who knows me. And they were like, oh, no, that has Sheila Scanlon's stink all over it. Because ah. <laughs> you know, everybody has their own flavor, you know. Um, and sure enough, the person had videoed their audition, sent me the tape, and then I sent back the video of my choreography, you know, which had a different time stamp, you know, which was like two years earlier. And uh, they were like, yeah. you know, so that person didn't get hired. So now just as a protection, um, I go, we go ahead and we copyright entire bodies of work. But yeah, we do um, go ahead and, and take segments out for performances. Um, we do, um, you know, part of being the nonprofit wheel that we are, um, we do uh, do a couple of voluntary performances a year. We've limited them to one time a month. Um, because otherwise, all of the performances we would do would be gratis. Right. Um, yes. You know, so once we meet that quota, we're done. Okay. And then, um, and then uh, we do um, we do pay for hire, you know, performances. And then um, I've also been hired out as a choreographer. So I've I've choreographed through Body and Soul for three weddings. Flash mobs. Yeah, so, and then actually, um, with my relationship with Body and Soul and, and being in the artist community, I'm currently working with uh, Jim Hammond, uh, who is the organizer of the Day of the Dead Festival. Right, so I yes. I am currently writing a grant um, for the processional uh, for the Day of the Dead. So I will be choreographing the processional. I hate to walk back, but you brought up an interesting point in reference to copyright. So other than a slap on the wrist and saying that another company won't hire this person because they have basically pulled your work, is there any other repercussions once you find out?
so far it's worked. Everybody kind of likes that aspect. Um, and it encourages people to still choreograph. But as far as legal, legal ramifications, you know, I've never had to pursue. And, you know, the money that would be lost would, uh, you know, would not necessarily be as much um, unless that person takes my work and all of a sudden it, it's like, you know, got Broadway acclaim and they're touring around the country with my work, that would probably be the only way for me to go ahead and go after them for loss of income. But if they're just going to an audition and they're, you know, or they're posing my piece as one of theirs, um, you know, I, I don't know how much I would actually, I'd probably spend more on the lawyer than I would getting, you know, the income, which unfortunately it's hard when you're an artist, you know, it's so hard because people sample your stuff and it happens to musicians all the time. It happens really? to yes. vocalists, you know, it happens to poets, you know, writers, you name it. Everybody has been, everybody at one point has had something taken from them. And there was a long argument for a very long time. Was dance copyrightable? Yeah. Because, right? Was was dance copyrightable? And well, I mean, if you think about it, yeah, there's there are there are steps, just like there are notes in music, right? Then that would be like, well, is music copyrightable? You mix up the notes in different levels. I mix up the steps in different levels. Okay. You know, and it's also you know when right now we're small. You know, we're still small. Although I've done some individual stuff and been invited to dance festivals up and down the east coast and i do have some connections on the west coast i we have not done a nationwide tour or anything like that we've we've stayed local we have stayed local um for mostly due to the monetary reasons a lot of times people call us and say hey can you come and teach a class but they only have a budget of x amount of dollars and i'm like well i can't bring you know, the company for what you have. You can have me, and you might be able to have one other person, and we can teach master class or whatever. Right. You know, so that's usually where 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 we are. Why we are where we are, basically. Okay. And just to move forward, as far as the pyramid, which is body and soul, the day-to-day operations, you are artistic director, is there any other people under you that work the day to day alongside you? Um, we do have like our secretary. Um, she does a lot of the work, um, you know, paperwork and stuff. I'll go ahead and delegate some of that stuff to her. And then I do have an assistant director, uh, Ty Thompson. Um, so uh, there's a lot of times that, you know, delegating, you know, making sure people are coming to rehearsal. Um, however, I, I pretty much attend every rehearsal. And then we have a vice president who um, he also goes out uh, to a lot of events in the name of Body and Soul. <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny because when him and I go out on events, our names are Body and Soul. You know, like people don't remember. They're like, oh, look, Body and Soul's here. They're like, we have names, but it's cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, there are people underneath us, um, you know, underneath me, uh, but a good majority of the work, like the grant writing and, and 
and whatnot, I still bear a lot of that. Um, and then, uh, I, like, I kind of delegate some of the other stuff, like uh, rehearsal schedule, uh, social event schedules, and then uh, we do have, like, a couple other people who uh, facilitate, like, our webpage and stuff like that. One which is currently still under construction, yeah. Your website? As far as productions go, do you have a season or do you just produce where you find time and space? Anybody 
we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to make it through the show, like without like falling apart. Cause of was, course. We realized once we were in the theater, oh man, he's not here, but he was there, so it was kind of strange. And um, so uh, because last year's season was delayed, this year's season is also delayed. But this year we kind of um, I wanted to take the break last year, and we couldn't. So we kind of took the pressure off. So I, as artistic director, said we're going to delay this season into August 10th. We're actually doing a main stage performance August 10th. But um, I needed a little time to mourn. Um, and I needed a little time to kind of regather to create because I didn't realize. Um, I've always used my emotionality, you know, like my love, my laughter, my hate, my rage. You know, my, my, the deepest, darkest parts of my soul to create, but all of a sudden, I felt like my heart had been ripped out, and, um, and I couldn't create. I kind of went through a choreographer's block, you know, and I said, I need, I need a break, I need to focus on me, and then once I took the break, because I led the way, everybody else was like, oh yeah, you know what, that's a good idea. So we kind of all decided together we were going to still do class and kind of play in the studio and see if things came out. So um, right now we've got a good uh, a good five pieces done, um, and we are not putting pressure on ourselves. We should probably create, I think there's going to be a restaging. Uh, two restagings are going to happen and one more new piece. So uh, our next show will be about eight pieces long. It'll probably be um, a little more than an hour of performance, and uh, and it'll be at the main library. Okay. On August tenth. Well, you so, bring up any- another important topic, which veers yeah. into health. So, yeah. as a dancer, and as the, I would say, the mother hen of the company. Yeah. How do you all get together to condition yourselves, I mean, especially as dancers, for physical yeah. and mental health? Um, because you well, use your bodies, your yeah. your bodies are your tools. Yeah, our bodies are our tools. Um, as far as physical health, you know, right now, uh, we're only running two classes a week, so we encourage everybody to take, you know, classes wherever they can, you know, um, they should, you know, we always say that at a minimum of three dance classes a week, you should be taking, you know, for the rigor that we have to dance. Um, as far as like injuries go, well, I am the best and worst example of that. (laughs) My career, uh, my dance career, I've been sort of semi-retired now for five, six years for main stage performances. However, um, every once in a while, I decide that, you know what, I want to be back on the stage. Um, But I'm riddled with injury, so I am the worst example. So I am like the, uh, we have, as part of our board of directors, we have a doctor of Eastern Medicine, so who takes care of our acupuncture, our, you know, massages, our herbs that we need to take to make sure our bone health is good, our muscle health is good, 
you know, she's constantly monitoring our physical health. And then we also have a physical therapist who's on our board of directors, um, who also, uh, especially for me, provides physical therapy, you know, on the regular and exercises just to make sure that we are constantly in health, you know, like in good shape. Um, uh, for our mental health, we've had in the past one of our dancers, two of our dancers, one right now is a professional counselor. <laughs> so she actually came into the group right after right after we lost Garrett. She came into the group. It was kind of like he sent her to us. Good. We got counseling every week, which was fantastic as a group. And after that, we had a, a dancer who was with us for five years who was also like a psychologist. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you should see those YouTube. Right, you should see those YouTube videos with Tony Basil dancing in her pop locking in her seventies and in, in front of a crowd. So, right, it could be done. Oh, something's wrong here. And they're like, oh, how'd you break your ankle? I'm like, well, I don't know. 
So uh, a couple of more things before we wrap up here. One of the things that we were talking about while we were testing our vocals is that you have a day job, you're a special ed teacher, and you've been doing that for quite a while. So yes. how did that all come into play? Um, okay, so uh, I was always taught that um, as an artist, you needed a backup career because not everybody makes it, not everybody is, you know, super talented, and you're going to have to have a fallback career. And um, when I was a very young child, I said I wanted to be a dancing doctor. So I figured I could dance and be a doctor. So I'd be a doctor during the day, and I'd be a dancer at night. Uh, and it sounds kind of shady, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know but that's what I thought was going to happen. So when I went to school um, and I had to pick a career, um, I had always um, been drawn to people with disabilities. Um, I always felt, um, like just a connection and an understanding, like that they weren't a set of people that couldn't do, you just had to figure out a way that they could do it their way, right? So I always liked that kind of puzzle. I always felt like, um, children with special needs were, uh, similar to a Rubik's Cube. Right? Not everybody can solve a Rubik's Cube when they first get to it, but once they practice over time, they'll, they can figure it out. So, um, so I went to school and I, you know, I started to like do these internships and everything in the classroom and I just really enjoyed it. So, um, in my teaching career, I've been teaching for 18 years. I've worn many hats within school districts. Um, I've done, um, resource room where children who were just struggling in reading and writing came to me. Um, and then I've done uh, small groups uh, where I, and I've done co-teaching where I'd go in and work with a regular ed teacher and we'd break up the groups and divide and conquer. Um, I've worked at um, schools that were primarily for children with autism. So all of the students there were under one disability and currently um I am actually revisiting a previous like previous setting. I'm currently um, a, a cluster teacher in the emotionally handicapped um, cluster here in Broward County. And um, what's interesting about emotionally handicapped is it is the one disability you only have while you're at school. It is not a disability that follows you um, when you graduate. So um, these students, it's very important for them to learn those social skills and um, they're usually considered emotionally handicapped for a multitude of things that happened in their environment. It wasn't necessarily something that they were born with. So they learned, you know, uh, they didn't have the right nurturing, they didn't have, uh, you know, somebody who set boundaries on them and you kind of have to retrain them. Um, so I'm really enjoying it, I love it. Um, my kids are great, and I incorporate dance into the classroom every day. We do stretching and yoga and centering every single morning, and the kids love it. Okay, all right. 
And do you happen to have, do you interwove your dance experience into any of the programs that you teach? I do. I always try and incorporate, because I'm a of performing arts. Um, I'm known as like the master of reader theater. So um, I love doing reader theater with my kids, and I always incorporate movement and costumes within that, so it ends up being a production. So they kind of get that experience, which also, um, when you're working with low readers, you're giving them motivation to do something. Okay. Like you're giving them the motivation to thrive. And, and if you hear a lot of artists, they'll tell you they weren't necessarily the best students. And, and the reason why they enjoyed going to school is because they had the arts program. The arts program helped them, you know, be whoever they are. And that's um, not a struggle for all artists, but a good a good handful of artists will say that. They're like, the only reason I went to school was for art, or I only went to school because of drama, you know, and I wasn't good at anything else. And so you try and spark that love. Um, but yeah, I do incorporate it. Um, however, I have learned as an artist, a lot of times because I am the artistic director of Body and Soul, um, I will be asked, oh, can you choreograph something for this? And I'm like, yeah, sure, you want to pay me my regular rate? <laughs> and then they're like, uh, what? You get paid? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're not willing to do it for free? No. <laughs> you want me to work after hours? you got to pay me my regular choreography rate. You know, like, so I think, um, but I think that's a new movement. You know, I think for... Like, I think for all artists, we're always asked to give our talents, and a lot of times we're willing to give our talents for free. Um, However, we're never going to succeed if we keep giving things away. I can't just say, oh, to my mortgage company, hey, can I choreograph a piece for you and you leave my my mortgage? They're going to look at me like, no, you can't, you know? So I think a lot of times we... We're so happy and flattered that somebody has asked us for our work and that they think we're talented, that we're willing to give it away, but that's not, that's not okay, you know? Um, There comes a point, I believe there comes a point where if you are going to progress in any career that you do, there has to be some elevation. And just to keep it on that particular plateau where you're volunteering your time, for the work that you do, while, of course, philanthropy is nice, you still have to pay your bills. You still have right. to, you've paid your dues, now it's some. Now it's turn for someone to pay your dues. That's how exactly. I look at it. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I've done programs like with the Dan Marino Foundation, we brought in dance for their after-school program. They compensate us compensated us for doing that. Of course, you know? they should. It was, you know, right. So, I, I mean, originally they came to me and asked us if we would volunteer, and I came back with them, uh, no. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so we went back and forth, and finally I was like, well, you know, you're a nonprofit, we're a nonprofit, we can find a happy ground. We can find, you know. So we ended up, you know, doing a program, you know, through there, and then We've also run dance programs through the city of Deerfield Beach, and we've worked with some other cities. And, you know, it's got to be a compensation. There can also be a sliding scale, but the thing is, is that you've got to be compensated for your work. Understood. You can't just willy-nilly give your work away for free. 
And it took me a while too in order to realize that with my company because I have people who are recurring, people who do I reach out to who are willing to uh, work with me uh, on a recurring basis. But then I come to realize that once again, it's all about progression. It's all about it. You know, if you want to be a professional worker, you get paid for your work. It doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or whether you are a car salesman or a artist that is right. trying to make a living wage in right. a state that does not provide that living wage. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> yeah. But but it for me it was a way that if i could find something in the means of my budget which most of the time i do have to pay out of pocket i will give someone something just as a way to say thank you for your time and your loyalty for for sticking with me you know throughout throughout the duration of you know how long i've been doing this so Um, and then we also try to find other means in order to have them progress, whether it be a contest or if I know someone that is looking for someone and that is providing an honorarium, you know, I will give it to the people who have worked with me for the longest in that sense. So kind of to tie things up here, where do you see the community of dance in South Florida um how have you have you seen a progression is there any more room for improvement um where I mean Um, how do you where do you see it going okay uh that's a really good question um over my 20 years uh as director of body and soul I've seen a lot of modern dance companies or modern projects come and go. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of choreographers try to start their own thing and it comes and it goes. Um, For dance progression, I think one of the things that is pivotal within the community is that uh, even, for instance, at ArtServe. I love ArtServe. We've been there uh, nine years. Um, However, for a good majority of those nine years, we were dancing on a cement floor. And it's not conducive. So facilities in Broward County that say that they have a dance floor and it's not an actual dance floor. Um, it shortens dancers' careers and it, um, I mean, it, it, it's just damaging. And then we have stages throughout the county and even the new facility that was just built off of Atlantic Boulevard Right in uh, in Pompano. Right, of course, the Pompano Beach Cultural Center. Well, that theater and the one in Lauderhill that was recently built are not conducive to dance. They don't have any back. You have to exit the stage, run around the back area, and run back in the other door. So it's not conducive for dance. Like it, it's not conducive. They're they're not thinking about like dance when they're building facilities. So facility, number one, hands down, if the facilities aren't here, we're not going to bring the companies that you would see 
that are staying at Broward Center and they're staying at the Crowded Center and they're going to Adrian Arch, those facilities are built and maintained and they understand, they were built with the understanding that they were ready for dance. They have dance studios within their facilities that are sprung floors that, you know, the mirror is on the wall and the ballet bar is on, not attached to the mirror, it's on the other side of the room. Hmm. Those, like, those basic structural things, when they built Dillard, they rebuilt Dillard, and they attached the ballet bars to the mirror, that was the most asinine thing I have ever seen, because as a dancer, you need the visual of your body structure, and if you are right on top of that mirror, you cannot make the corrections that you need to make. Right, because you can't see them because they're too close in proximity. And another thing is, is that the bars are too close to the mirror. So when you go to put your foot on the bar, your foot is hitting the wall. Mm. You know, and so facility hands down. If the facilities don't change and make it conducive for dance, dance will not flourish. Right. Because we don't have the right spaces. You know, it's the same thing like when we're performing and I go, okay, are you bringing in a stage? What kind of stage are you bringing in? You know, no, we, you know, I can bring in a floor, but we can't perform at 12 noon. My floor is black. It's going to melt, you know, like, you know, we're going to burn, you know? So yeah, facilities, I think facilities is our number one issue. Okay. In the county overall. And until that is rectified. I don't think we've stayed and we've been here the test of time and we're in the process of trying to groom the next artistic director, right? Trying to, I mean, there's going to be a point where I have to, you know, I should step down, you know, so I'm in the process, we're in the process of looking for the next generation. But before that happens, we want to make sure that they have the right facility to use. And ArtServe has really done a, really tried to do right by us. Um, they put in a floor. Unfortunately, the floor has had numerous issues because um, their hands are tied because it's a county building. So, <laughs> so the county workers are putting down the floor that they don't really know how to install. So it's been installed improperly now. I think this is the third floor. Ooh. Right, and it's costing somebody money. You know, right. yes. um, but, and, and we're the only dance company that is maintained staying there through the floor debacle. Hmm. A lot of people have left the facility, but, um, but I mean, facility is for sure. Facility is the number one issue for dance to progress here in South Florida and specifically Broward County. Broward County has huge issues, you know, because I've gone to many facilities looking for the right, proper, you know, space for us. And there's certain theaters we'll never be able to perform in. You know? Um, and I, I and I, I almost understand, like, these companies that are coming in from out of state and they're performing at these facilities, they'll come there once and realize it's not, they don't have what they need and they won't come back. Right. Because mm. also... Right, so it's also limiting the scope of the artists that you're getting in, you know? So, um, but for the 
audience. I think we have a lot of talented people in our community. We have a lot of very talented young artists coming up. We just don't have the right facilities for us to maintain them to stay here. So, in essence, what advice would you give a young dancer that you weren't told when you were starting? This has been a great dialogue, and I thank you so much, Sheila, for once again taking the time out of your schedule to speak with me. And, um, you know, uh, just it's an impressive feat to keep uh, up the uh, company uh, for over two decades. So kudos and congratulations to you. And I hope that when you do find that moment, although I hope in your case, and I'm a little biased, that uh, it'd be a while before you decide to give the reins to someone else. But, I mean, you're exactly right in the sense that you do have to find the right successor. Otherwise, once again, the company will get dormant because I've seen uh, an issue where one person who was a founding artistic director uh, decided to hang it up. And unfortunately, the board could not find a successor and the company had to fold. So it is extremely tough. However, um, I do wish you the best of luck in order to find that person to keep the legacy of body and soul going. And once again, go ahead. And, of course, uh, can you give your website again? Sure. It's uh, bodyandsoulsdancetheater.org. And that's theater with an R-E or E-R? Nope, that's theater with an R-E. Okay, okay. And you're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? Thanks again, Sheila, and, uh, you know, much appreciated. Well, this has been episode 28 of the Kevin Johnson program. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and you'll find us 
once again on SoundCloud and Anchor.fm under Kev John Pro. You could also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram under Kev John Pro. And feel free to listen to the past 26 episodes and get to know our South Florida creatives. Thank you so much again, and we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Take care.